Amen. Good morning. My name is Kurt Miller. Yes, good morning. Whoever said that, hallelujah. We're awake. Some of us stayed up till midnight, I'm sure. So maybe those of us who stayed up till midnight aren't awake. Go Braves. Anyone? Okay. Was anyone at the game? Raise your hand. Okay. No one was at the game in the service, but anyway, it was a good game. It was it, in the fourth inning. I'm not going to lie. I thought that things were about to get really ugly, but they turned that around and that was, it was good. Well, it's good to be with you. My name is Kurt Miller. My family and I, we serve overseas and, uh, but temporarily while we're here in the States, we're here at Vintage with this family serving and, and joining in with you guys. So if you've been with us the past few weeks, you know that we're in a series, Seek First, and um, we have two more Sundays in this series, and then the right before Thanksgiving, we'll wrap up the series, so really three more, but the last Sunday, we'll be wrapping this up before we go into Advent. And this morning, I'm going to continue talking about this uh, this subject of the kingdom and seeking first the kingdom and, and all of his righteousness and what that means. Um, and we are going to be in Luke chapter 19 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open your Bibles. I hope you have your Bibles. And if you remember a couple weeks ago, um, or actually pretty much every week, Steve and myself, we've been talking about, the, Steve has used this word tension, the tension that we feel in the kingdom. Because we we are, based on what we know in scripture, we see that the kingdom is something that is present with us. Because Jesus died, he sent the Holy Spirit, he is here, he lives inside of us. But it's also something that's not fully complete until Jesus returns again. And so we're, we're living in a time where there is still unrighteousness, where there is still injustice, and all of these things exist. And not only that, but we are also living in a time where the power of the Spirit is here, and we can see signs, and we can see wonders, and we can see miracles. We can see him break in. And, and that is going to be what I'm talking about this morning as well, that tension, but with a little different approach, mostly regarding the tension that we face in terms of how we're supposed to live and what we're supposed to do during this time. So let's go ahead and jump in. Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27, long section of scripture, a long parable, but join with me and read this and then I'll pray and we'll look at this passage. Luke 19, verse 11, Jesus says, As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they were they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that that he might know what they had gained by doing business. Verse 16, the first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I have kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. 
Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming, I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. But I tell you that to everyone who has more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Lord, we come before you this morning knowing that your word is true. Lord, humbled by your word, humbled by your presence. We come to your sanctuary wanting to give you the praise that you're worthy of. And to see your face, to exalt you. God, this morning as we read your word, I pray, God, that you would speak to us. Lord, we don't want good ideas. We don't want good words. Lord, we want your truth to be imparted into our hearts this morning. And so, Lord, I ask that that transaction would happen. I ask, God, that you would give us the spirit of revelation. That you would enlighten the eyes of our hearts, God, that we would know you that we would see you. So, Lord, we love you. Come and speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm sure many of you have read this passage before. Um, One thing that I was doing as I was preparing for this message, I started to read some of this in Luke, as well as what we find in Matthew 24 and 25, where Jesus is talking about the coming kingdom. And I noticed something very interesting. In, In Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus frequently talks about the coming of the kingdom as something that happens suddenly. He says that he'll come like a thief in the night. At the time that you least expect it, he will come and and bring the kingdom of God. And this is obviously referring to the second coming. But it's a little different in Luke. Jesus is saying something else. In fact, the verse 11, right at the beginning, he says he gave them this parable because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. And over the last few weeks, we've we've described the tension that we faced in the kingdom that we face in the kingdom of God, and we've mostly done that theologically. But in looking at these two passages, just what Jesus is talking about in Matthew, and then what Jesus is talking about in Luke, Jesus Himself is telling us there is a tension in this kingdom. Yes, I could come immediately; I could come like a thief in the night. But that doesn't mean that you just wait passively until that moment. That's what he's addressing in this parable. You wait for me to come, but not passively. There is an active waiting that we participate in, which is why he gave this parable, because they were waiting for it to come at any moment. Now, that can happen. That is true. That's what Jesus told us. But his point in this parable is to say, actively wait. Don't just be passively sitting back while injustice around the world is happening. He's called us to do something. Jesus himself is telling us, yes, I could come at any moment, but don't wait passively for me. The point is to let that motivate change in our lives. Let the kingdom and the thought that Jesus can come at any point motivate change in our lives. The fact that we think he is near should 
motivate not laziness, not passivity, but the fact that he is near and can come should motivate change and urgency in our lives in certain ways. Jesus wants us to do more than just wait. He's called us to be faithful through obedience and perseverance. He wants us to be bold and embrace the values of the kingdom, which is what we've talked about over the previous weeks. He wants us to be bold and embrace the values of the kingdom in a culture of compromise. In a world that does not value the things that the kingdom of God values, he's called us to embrace those values in the midst of that compromise. If you see in this parable, which we're going to look at more closely now, there were citizens in this city. And the citizens said, we don't want that king to reign over us. Jesus, the nobleman represents Jesus. I'm guessing you could, you could have seen that. There's three servants. Two were faithful. One was unfaithful. And there's a mina, which is about three months worth of wages. And then there's the citizens. And the citizens in this parable, they represent the world. People who do not want Jesus as king. They do not want his value system. They do not want anything that his kingdom entails. And so the explanation is, is very simple. Two servants use their mina to gain more. One, bur- one buries his or uh, covers it in a handkerchief and is unfaithful. Notice the one who hid his mina, his accusation of the king at the end when he returns is very similar to those who do not know Jesus. His accusation is, I knew you were unjust, an unfair man. Oh, that was a picture for later. But anyway, you <laughs> brace. Woo. We'll just keep looking at that. No, if you weren't, if you didn't see that on the on the interwebs. Sorry. So, but where was I? The unju- the unfaithful servant comes when the nobleman returns. He says, you are unjust. And if you look around today, many people feel that way about Jesus. Yeah, they're willing to accept the fact that Jesus is love. God is love. Whatever you want in that arena. But the moment you talk about what the kingdom of God asks of you and demands of you, there's a distance The moment you talk about Jesus as a judge, we'll stay at arm lengths from that king. Right. They have a feeling that, oh, he is just unjust. He's not fair. And they don't understand or grasp, probably because of some sort of pain, the truth of who God is. The message is that Jesus is leaving his kingdom for a time. And until he comes back, those who are faithful will be rewarded and rule over cities in the future. Those who those who aren't, even what they have is taken from them and the enemies of Jesus will be subject to his judgment. That's the message. Pretty straightforward. But I think there's a deeper level of what we can see in this parable. A lot of times when we read this and when we read the other version in the book of Matthew, we can think, Maybe Jesus here is talking about the fruit that we bear. Maybe he's talking about the number of souls that we see saved. Maybe he's talking about all of these external things, right? Jesus has given us something. The question is, what are we to do, right? And he told us the Great Commission. And so a lot of times we can read this and think, well, when Jesus returns, he's going to look at us and and 
ask, how many people did you see saved? Did you care for the poor? These are true. He is going to ask those things. But I think more than that, he cares about the motivation behind those things. When he responds to the faithful servants, he says, well done, you were faithful with little. And not only were they faithful with little, but they were faithful with little in a culture that did not want the nobleman to be king. So you have three, you have two servants who were faithful and they were faithful with little. Why everyone else was saying, no, we do not want the value system of that king. We do not want his principles in our life. But those servants who were faithful, they continued and they persevered. My question is, I don't think that they were simply faithful because they wanted to see their mina go from one to ten or one to five. Right. I think there was something deeper that was motivating them. I don't think that they lived their life thinking he told us to do this. Let's just keep doing this, because if that were the case, it wouldn't last. They were also living in a culture of compromise. They were living in a time where the city, the people, the citizens were saying, we reject this person. In that scenario, very few people will last. The difference is that there was something internally motivating them to be faithful. It wasn't just external fruit. These external things, they're good, they are fruit, but being faithful to Jesus is more about internal fruit and internal growth that leads to external fruit. This means that we're growing in godliness and in character. The process is that we step out on mission, we grow in internal fruit, and thus bear external fruit. These two servants, they weren't just faithful. Jesus says they were faithful when everyone was against them. They were doing what he asked in a culture of compromise. Now, if these citizens rejected him as king, it probably wasn't just a personality issue. Although I know today politics is a lot about personality. Usually politics is about policies, right? So these citizens probably weren't just rejecting him because of His personality, the nobleman's personality, they were probably rejecting him because they did not like the policies or the values that came with his kingdom. And the faithful servants had to live out those values in the midst of those citizens. Now, the same is true of Jesus. I live in a Muslim country. Muslims love Jesus. You probably never thought you would hear that statement. They love Jesus. They believe in Jesus. They think Jesus was a great example. They think Jesus is coming back again. I mean, I can tell you all these things. They know about Jesus. But they don't know what the Bible says about Jesus. They don't know that Jesus was born of a virgin. They don't know that Jesus was crucified on a cross. They don't know that Jesus was the word made flesh. So they know about Jesus. They know what the Quran tells them about Jesus. But they don't know the truth of Jesus and his kingdom. And when you start to talk about the truth of his kingdom, they reject it. Today, we live in a culture that has been dominated by lies. And these are lies that are justified under a banner of independence or some sort of freedom. 
Unfortunately, this has led truth to become subjective instead of objective. Truth is something that is objective. This happened. This didn't happen. The earth is round, not flat, right? Truth is objective. But what has happened within our culture and in our society, we have started to allow truth to become subjective, which means that whatever you want to be true is true for you. And whatever I want to be true is true for me. The outcome of this, let me show you a few examples of the outcome of this. In the 1960s, something happened that we usually call the sexual revolution. Right. And the sexual revolution happened because of that very reason. What you want and the way you want to live based on your your desire, you can do. And it became widely accepted. Right. And the reason that that sexual revolution happened is because we wanted people to be free. We wanted to people to have that freedom to act the way that they desire to act. Do you know what the result or the outcome or the fruit of the sexual revolution has been? The largest modern known slave trade. So what started as an idea and a desire for liberation, what started as a desire for freedom has actually led to greater enslavement and bondage. And you know why it happened? Because what is objectively true, God's design for creation was replaced with a subjective truth. And one of my favorite authors, John Mark Comer, says, when you go against the grain, I think he's quoting someone else, but when you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. What was desired, what what God intended when that was changed and people in their own subjective way tried to gain freedom, it actually led to enslavement and bondage. The same author, John Mark Comer, he says in this book, Live No Lies, he gives uh, an example of one of the one of the beauties and geniuses of the human mind. I'm going to get philosophical on you for a second, if that's okay. One of the, I don't like philosophy, but this is simple. One of the geniuses of the human mind is the the ability to think of an idea and make it a reality. So you can think of something, let's talk about cooking, right? You can think of a uh, nice cake. I love cakes, right? I love the bunt cake. Anyone, you guys like bunt cakes? What's that? Nothing bunt cakes. Those cakes are so good. Someone thought of this awesome bunt cake. Right. And they made that cake a reality. That is genius. I love it. I love those cakes. But the thing about that, our ability to take an idea and make it reality can also be our greatest downfall. We can take an idea and make it a reality and it can be our greatest downfall. How is that? If the idea that we conceive is a lie, then we bring that idea into reality. And we start to live in a warped understanding of reality. We see this on the large scale with the example I just gave with the sexual revolution. There was an idea that if we just let people live based on those desires, based on what they want and what they think is true, maybe it'll lead us to more freedom. But in fact, that was a lie and it led us to a greater form of enslavement. It led to human trafficking. People begin to believe that being led by those sexual desires would create some sort of freedom instead of the morals that God gave us. 
But there are also other examples that are a little bit more personal that we can relate to. Now, that is a large societal example. But there are other things in our lives today where we experience these things. For example, I think one that comes to my mind is is divorce. And I know that's a very tough issue. Divorce doesn't start when someone says, I just want to do whatever I want and, and live the way that I want. It doesn't start that way. The majority of the times, divorce starts by someone who thinks, for some reason, we have unreconcilable differences or we're not fulfilled with this person. And that lie begins to creep in in a way where you continue to believe it through your marriage. And the natural end, before you even sign a divorce paper, that marriage has ended because that is the lie that you have believed. But the unfortunate truth is, you know what happens? The thought is, maybe I'll be more satisfied with someone else or maybe I'll be more fulfilled with someone else. But unfortunately, the same thing happens. More times than not, you're not more fulfilled with someone else. Because there is a truth here that is not being embraced. Another example, I think, is greed. Greed can lead us into stealing. Greed can lead us into debt. But the thought is simple. I need something. I want something. I need something. And that thought, begins to shape your reality. It can be small. It can be big, right? Small version may be getting into debt. The big version might be stealing, right? You think you need something so bad or you want something so bad and you've consumed your thought process with that that when you just take it, you don't even realize you're stealing. Or when you use a credit card to get that, you don't realize that you've just started drowning in debt. Another example which is applicable to all of us, is unforgiveness. You're hurt by someone. Maybe they said or did something offensive. That leads you to seek vengeance or to to feel some sort of emotion of anger instead of pursuing understanding and forgiveness. In scenarios like these, these are usually relational. These usually involve two people or more. And what happens, and this has always been one of my favorite things to learn when I'm in a conflict, is there are always two sides to a story. There is never one side to a story. There are always two sides. But what happens when we are in the conflict ourselves, we start to feel so much pain that we cannot even hear the other person's side of the story. It hurts so bad, whatever, 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 all these reasons we justify, we're not even willing to listen to hear what they may have felt, because life is more complex than what we feel ourselves individually. So you begin to live this lie. You think, well, they did this. You're assuming their motivations. I was hurt because of this. They wanted me to feel this way. When in reality, you do not know that any of that is true because you can't talk to them and you haven't heard them. And it leads us to feeling bitter, to not being able to release that feeling and that tension to God who alone can bring vengeance. Now, these are just examples. There are plenty of examples we can talk about. But the point is, is that in society today, we are living in a time where our citizens, our people do not want to embrace the values of this kingdom, of this king and kingdom. They're like the 
citizens in this parable that are saying, no, we don't, we don't want him to rule over us. We don't want to embrace what he is talking about. And because of that, truth is now subjective. Truth is now subjective within our society. So what do we do is my question. What do we do? How can we be like the two faithful servants who ended up turning one mina into ten mina, one mina into five mina? How can we end up being faithful in the way that they were faithful? Faithfulness is bringing true to our word and our commitment to Jesus. The way that we stay faithful is through obedience and perseverance. Now, I think this is a real tender issue or sensitive issue, all of what I'm talking about this morning. Because as a church, our role is not to be what fundamentalists have been in the past. Our, our role is not to pronounce judgment on those that are living in the ways that are not like our ways. That is not our role, okay? Our role is to love, to seek mercy, and to embrace the values in our life. And I, I just feel the need to say that because the things I'm saying are pretty um, strong and they can be abrasive. But the, the, the response is not to go out and wonder why or speak out against people that are not living this way. That's not the response. The response is for us to live that way. The response is for us to embrace the values of the kingdom. So how are we to be faithful? Faithfulness happens through obedience and, pers- and perseverance. Obedience, first and foremost, is right here in this book. We listen to what Jesus tells us to do. I think a lot of times we complicate obedience too much, or better said, we complicate what he's asking us to do. Sometimes I've, I've heard people say, well, I don't know what he wants me to do. I don't know what he's asking. It's really clear. It's right here. He gave it to us. And the more we read this book, digest this book, the more we will know what he is asking us to do. God has already spoken to us. If you're asking God what you should do when someone has hurt you, you're asking the wrong question. The question is not, I'm hurt, God, what should I do? He's already told you, you're supposed to forgive them. Now, there is a process to getting to that place in your heart. That's very true. It's not just some robotic act that happens. And you, he, we involve him in that process, but the response is there. The response is forgiveness. If you're asking God whether you should say something to someone about someone else and talk and this, that, and the other, that's probably the wrong question, too. He's already told you that we're not supposed to gossip in that way. In fact, he even said in the book of James that the tongue is a fire, and it will set all things ablaze. If you're wondering how much time you should spend on Instagram, well, yeah, he didn't say much about Instagram, but he did say that if you take in light, then you will produce light. This is the eye gate, right? We don't see Instagram in the Bible, but what you take in is what's going to come out of you. So we have his word, which we're called to obey. That shouldn't lead us to ask, what are we to do? That should lead us into the scriptures to see what he's told us to do. But there are times where we sense this nudge from the spirit. Where the Lord is urging us maybe to do something or to say something to someone or to encourage someone or to share the gospel. And we also obey in those moments. So obedience. How are we to be faithful? First, through obedience, but second, through perseverance. 
Carl, you can put that picture back up. I had this picture because I feel like the Braves are a great example of perseverance. This is my shirt from 1995 when the Braves won the World Series. Hoot, hoot. Thanks, Steve. It's been a long time, but they persevered, right? The definition of perseverance is steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty or delay in its success. I'm going to say that again. Steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty or delay in its success. More specifically, when the world tells us something different and challenges our king and its kingdom and his kingdom, it's not changing our convictions about the truth, not compromising when our culture is compromising. When it comes to perseverance, I think it's important to remember God's sovereignty and his power. If we're persevering in order to see specific results, I think that we can end up disillusioned. A lot of times our motivation is because, God, if I do this, I think that this will happen. Or if I do this, it seems like this will probably happen or this should happen even. The, the problem, though, is that when we are, are, are only persevering for those reasons, it can lead us to feel disillusioned. One of my favorite preachers, Alan Hood, he says, God plays chess on ten levels. God plays chess on ten levels. And so our perseverance, if it's only motivated by what our finite minds can imagine as an expected outcome, then when that outcome doesn't happen, we will end up disillusioned. And you know what? It will lead us to have problems with God. God, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? I persevered through challenges and I expected this outcome. But our expectation is based on our finite knowledge of reality. We do not see two layers, three layers, four layers, five layers, ten layers or more deep of what God is hoping to accomplish through our perseverance. In fact, our perseverance, I think most of all, is about us. I think our perseverance, most of all, is about us growing in godliness and in character. In fact, sometimes I don't even know if he, and this is just me personally, I'm not saying this is in the Bible, but I don't know if he will bring my expected outcome, right? But he wants me to persevere and to stay faithful. One of the things that I think the reason I say God's sovereignty and his power is important in perseverance is because you can remember when you remember his power. You remember that the thing that you do expect, despite whether it happens or not, is so easy for God. I love this parable because these servants, they were working for the noblemen. All of that was his. There was no promise of even a reward, though they did receive a reward. But all of that belonged to him. They 10x their investment. Some of you over here, I'm sure, into Bitcoin. Everyone's trying to 10x their money in Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever that is. These servants did that. But everything that they produced belonged to the king. Now he rewarded them, but there was no expectation that that could happen. There was no promise that that could happen. They persevered and they remained faithful despite those challenges. 
Perseverance, even when the expected results don't come to pass. We don't just persevere because we will gain something. We persevere because Jesus is worthy. The external things that we think of, the way that I view it, is that those things are so easy for God. We can be so consumed by external fruit and external outcomes, but we forget those things are small for him. He is more concerned about the motivations and the intentions of our hearts. He's more concerned about us remaining faithful to him in a culture and in a time where that is rare. As we bring this to a close, I want to ask the worship team to come up here. These servants were faithful with what the king gave them. While the king was gone, despite the other citizens who despised the king, he doesn't even mention if their faithfulness changed any of those enemies, those citizens. But the point is, is that they did not compromise and grew in depth and godliness and character through perseverance and obedience. They embraced the value system of that nobleman and the king despite being ridiculed by their fellow citizens. This morning, as I was preparing for this, I think there's a number of things I talked about today, and I think there's a number of things that you can chew on. But most of all, I feel like this issue of perseverance in a culture of compromise and faithfulness is a culture of compromise, is in a culture of compromise, is where the Lord wants to speak to us. Many times, and many of you may be asking the question, why? Why did I not see this? Why did I not see that? Why did I do this and this didn't happen? And maybe it's led you to being confused with God. This morning, I think that in that place, the answer is not just persevere, 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 persevere. Right? I could stand up here and say that. Keep going, keep going, keep going. If you don't quit, you'll win. That's fair, okay? But that's not, I don't think, the right perspective. There is truth to it. We do need to persevere. But I think the Lord is speaking to us this morning and wants to know that he's near. And he wants to be the comforter. While we are persevering, he's close to us. He has not left us. So in the ways that we may feel disillusioned, in the ways that we may feel like what we expected maybe let down, like what we expected hasn't happened. And we're challenged in persevering already because of our culture and our society. I think the Lord wants to draw near and bring comfort this morning and bring peace this morning. So as we do that, I'm going to pray. And then after I pray, we're going to have teams up here to pray for you if you want prayer. And it can be anything. It can be what I just said. But if there are other things that you are needing prayer for, we want to pray for you. So let's pray this morning. Lord, we love you. And we know, Lord, today that you're close. Lord, that you're not removed. That our circumstances in this culture today are not unknown to you. In fact, you can sympathize with us. In the times maybe we've tried to persevere through a lot of challenges and came out on the other side not knowing 
why, not knowing where the result is. Lord, I pray you would remind us that you are close and that inside of us you are doing a great work that will lead to great fruit. You're producing something inside of us that will produce fruit outside of us, though we may not know what that is. Maybe it's not what we expect. We can trust that that is the work you're doing. So, Lord, I pray today, God, my desire, I pray for myself and for us in this room, we want to be wholehearted. We want our intentions and motivations of our heart to be directed towards you 100%. Every area. So, Lord, I pray that you would lead us in that way and you would speak to us, that we would be able to remain faithful like these servants despite the challenges. In Jesus' name, amen.